Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. All right, here we are. And here's another episode of The Dr. Ron Show. And I got to say, and it may be a little, you know, I always say I'm so excited to meet this guest and talk to this guest, but I really truly mean it this time because the Dr. Raj show is something that represents being down to earth. I really wanted to combine, you know, being a good person with, you know, overcoming disease. And it's very important to talk about, you know, diseases that many people encounter and have in society like diabetes and high blood pressure. But at the same time, I really wanted to have the opportunity to introduce and talk to individuals that have rare diseases. And one of my passions is having, you know, been involved with orphan diseases. And today's guest actually has a disease called Muckle-Wells syndrome. Now, for all my med students listening out there, I know you're Wikipediaing this Muckle-Wells right now because I know I needed to. So we'll talk about that shortly, but let me just introduce my guest today. You know, this is going to be Alice Payne. Now, Alice is a lawyer-turned-mom-turned-comedian, and that's no joke. Oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> she is one in a million, and she truly is, primarily because her ultra-rare genetic disorder, Muckle-Wells syndrome. Um, Alice is a native from New York, holds a BA from Boston College, a JD from Fordham University School of Law, and the record for most punchlines about auto-inflammatory diseases. That is true. Alice's um, comedy credits include Caroline's on Broadway, The Ice House, Flappers Comedy Club, JR's Comedy Club, um, Ventura Comedy Festival, Sacramento Comedy Festival. You're a funny guy. There's, I'm not even done yet. Burbank Comedy Festival, the Speak Up, Rise Up Festival, and believe it or not, what's it called? The Rare Disease Film Festival, which I did see some clips from. That was really cool. Alice has two kids. I know that for sure. Has an amazing husband. She didn't even write the word amazing husband. I just, I, I've added the word amazing. <laughs> A dog. And her husband has 15,000 comic books, which is true, and lives in Los Angeles. With that being said, Alice, welcome to the Dr. Rod Show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's my destiny to have you on here, Alice. And I read all about you. And I'm going to tell the audience the truth, which is you're a good friend of our family. You're a very good friend of, our, of my wife. And our kids love each other. So this is more than just interviewing any stranger. You're just, you are truly an amazing person. Thanks. Now, here's, I got some great questions to ask you. So first off, let me, now you could correct me. You probably know more about, you know, Muckle Wells than I do. But I want to make sure the, put in perspective to all the listeners, what is Muckle-Wells? And I'll give my medical definition, and you can just correct me if you have an easier way to explain it. I'm going to say for the dorky medical students out there, and you're not dorky, um, it's a periodic fever syndrome. That would what I would call the, the broader category. And these are very rare, even though I know you have it, so I hate saying rare. Many, many, many of them are genetic, but it doesn't always have to be. And 
there are different subtypes and you are one subtype of this periodic fever syndrome and it can affect almost every organ in the body, but re repeated horrible bouts of inflammation is what happens. Alice, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's the gist of it. <laughs> I mean, I could, I might be able to outdoor you. You can, okay, outdoor me, outdoor associated me. Periodic fever syndrome. Uh -huh. uh, and there are three categories that it's uh, kind of been lumped into with uh, FCAS being the sort of less severe, Michael Well syndrome being in the middle, and NAMAD being at the top. But they're finding lately that there's actually more overlap between those three categories than they knew before. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to ask a couple of things because, you know, many of these syndromes, you know, they start when you're a child, you know, and, mm -hmm. and obviously they take a very super long time to get diagnosed if ever get diagnosed. So I'm reading about your story as a child before you even knew you had this or even maybe before they even called it a name. Um, <laughs> I was reading uh, the way when your parents, maybe you could elaborate on this. How did your parents describe you as far as your symptoms as a child? And you, told, and you wrote down, they treated you with oatmeal baths. I mean, a lot of oatmeal what is an oatmeal bath? How do you treat someone with an oatmeal? Can you elaborate on this? You know, so the symptom that's most obvious in these conditions is, is hives. So I was covered in hives um, pretty frequently as a child. Uh, so, you know, in the 1980s, when you went to just a general pediatrician and you had hives, they would, they would say, give her an oatmeal bath. Um, so is, it that, literally a, is it literally a bathtub filled with oatmeal? Yeah, there's like, a, you know, it's like a soak, I guess. Okay. Supposed to soften your skin or, I, I don't know, um, that or Benadryl, which, okay. I mean, as a kid, and it, I don't know if they've changed the formula, but it, I would just be knocked out. I mean, I've taken Benadryl not too recently. Yeah, it could really knock you out. I mean, you're telling me as a kid, I mean, you were taking quite a bit of Benadryl to help out with these, these hives and allergies, per se? Sure, because it, they thought histamine, right? Yeah. So it would be antihistamines. Um, so then once I kind of figured that out, I just would hide the hives. Like, how are you feeling? I was like, I'm fine. Just leave <laughs> <laughs> me alone. I can't even blame my parents or doctors for not figuring it out, because at some point I was just like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't blame you because, I mean, I mean, to summarize it, I mean, if, if you show me your parents had a hive, you'd be covered in oatmeal and you'd be sleeping with Benadryl. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would keep my mouth shut too. And, you know, and how long did the, this carry on till we got a little more scientific? I mean, was it, was it from, did everyone just see you had allergies? Because allergies are common. And is that what they chalked it up to? Yes. Yeah. So I think one of the things uh, that's confusing about Michael Wells and they syndrome that's called periodic fever syndromes. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's an assumption that the fevers are very high. Okay. Um, but my like baseline temperature is usually like 97.6. So sometimes oh. my fevers were only like 99. 99.9. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so I would get fevers a lot, but it was just sort of like, oh, maybe you're run down. And then otherwise, really, the hives were the kind of most frequent. And is there, now the hive, were they everywhere in the body, on the face, on the back, stomach, or one place in particular? Or? 
Uh, so if I had like a really bad kind of flare, they would be everywhere, but uh, they were really often on the my thighs and mm -hmm. the tops of my arms. Were they itchy? They were uh, more hot than itchy. Okay. Like, All right. And so, I mean, so that was the childhood. And how long did this last? I mean, are we talking, when you said kid, I mean, that could be what, like six, seven years of age? And how long were you until you got diagnosed? What was that time period? So I was not diagnosed until I was 30, 34. Oh, Alice, so what, what I mean, so we just chalked it up to hives for 30 years almost? Is, is that, am I exaggerating or is that about right? Uh, yeah, infancy, actually, since I was an infant, they started. Oh my. started. When, when did you kind of like say, I need to take it up a notch and, you know, I got to put the oatmeal away. There's something bigger going on here, you know, and, and what about, I know we're focusing on hives now, but, you know, I'm just reading this off a, a textbook. I mean, what about the, when did the arthritis kick in? When did the uh, inflammation on the other organs kick in? I mean, when did you think it was something more than just a skin disorder? You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I would say around puberty, it started, those symptoms okay. became more prevalent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as a kid, I kind of, I think it's interesting when you, when you grow up with this kind of illness, you just, you learn to sort of cope and adapt. Yeah. Um, and I was a really good student. Um, so are you, I, are you making that up? Were you really good? I don't, I need to see a GPA or some kind of I, report card or something. Like that. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't say that to you. I, that's just a relative statement, but for, <laughs> for my family standards, I was a pretty good student. That's good. Um, I, I can believe that. So you weren't yeah, sleeping so, in class despite all that Benadryl, you weren't sleeping in class. <laughs> or you know what? It's like if I did, or I had a lot of absences and that kind of thing because of it. But I was always able to keep up. Okay. Uh, okay. So, and and that's what I did. Um, I just kind of accepted that I had this kind of weird body, and mm. and I ad adapted to it. Uh, and uh, you know, I I went to a few doctors, but um, I didn't really pursue a diagnosis until I was about 25. Okay. Um, so let me, let me ask you about, you know, you went to high school, supposedly you're a good student, but then I know you're a lawyer. If people don't know that. Um, from high school to college, uh, where did you go to college and what was your major in college? English and communication. Now, is that what lawyers do? Because I don't know much about lawyers. I mean, hopefully I don't. I mean, but, uh, what, are you guys using communications? Is that what you wanted? Did you know already from high school you wanted to be a lawyer? I didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to be, and I figured uh, whatever I did, it would be good to speak and write English really well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. that, that that's yeah. clutch right there. That, yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> um, and and, I, and if you, I didn't catch it. And where did you go to college? Uh, BC, Boston College. Oh, so I mean, do you have like strong Boston roots? Do you miss being on the East Coast and being in Boston in particular? I miss the East Coast for sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. now, now, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I know obviously you went to, uh, uh, you were in New York for, for law school. So I mean, are you more of a New Yorker? Are you more of a Boston person? You know what I mean? Do you decide with one? Born and bred New Yorker, New Yorker all the way. Yankees fan. Okay. Uh, so yeah. You, so you weren't happy when the Red Sox won the World Series then? 
No. No. <laughs> no. And, and so that, that's great. I think it's great that you went there for college. You were a communications major. So when, when during college did you realize, I want to do law in general? Going into my senior year. And what was it? Did you, what was the motivation? How does one go to communication? I want to learn how to speak and write to. No, I want to, I want to help people by being a lawyer. Where did that come in? Yeah, so I had always had a, a strong uh, call to service uh, okay. and volunteered a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So advocacy was important to me. Um, and uh, so I thought about either law or I actually also thought about theology. Um, okay, so too. <laughs> yeah, it's like totally. Uh, you know, I, I actually remember I, when I grew up <laughs> being in college and I was like, I, I wanted to do the Jesuit volunteer board. Uh, and I said, you know, I was like, my mom said, so you want to help people? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, you want to help poor people? And I was like, yeah, I really do, mom. Yeah. And she goes, well, then help yourself, sweetie, because you don't have any money, honey. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll go to law school then. And uh, so I can make money and I'll do some pro bono. So that's, that's kind of. Now, 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 Alice, I don't know the answer to this. I mean, uh, I mean, there's so many different types of lawyers. I mean, what type of lawyer are you? Like, are you the one that sues Dr. Raj? Are you that lawyer? Or what no, kind of lawyer no, no. Are you? no. Uh, no I, I, I'd be the lawyer that defends Dr. Raj, actually. Oh, is that why we have a bond? Because one day you may defend me, maybe? I've got your back. I've got All your right. back. <laughs> yeah, so what's the, uh, name of, what, what, what's the name of what you do? So I did, I kind of practiced in two different areas, uh, mm -hmm. maritime law, which is oh, okay. on the water, but I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so random. Uh, mm -hmm. And the insurance law. Um, okay. So my family, my dad and uncle own an insurance company. Um, so that's how I kind of got into that. So during law school, I mean, um, as I got my notes here, I mean, you can't see the video. Maybe I, will, I, will, I should release this video. This is pretty funny. I love talking to, to Alice. So in law school in the year 2006, you're approximately 25 years of age. And somehow your symptoms were not somehow your symptoms were still persisting. And it seems you were diagnosed with Lyme disease. Yeah. Now, I, I want you to talk about that because, you know, Lyme disease seems to be the answer for everyone's mysterious problems in our country. <laughs> you know, if, I, if you don't know what's going on, it's probably the Lyme disease. Now, I know I'm making light of it, so I, I apologize for those listeners who do have Lyme disease. But, um, Alice, did you believe the diagnosis? Did it seem feasible? And how did you react to that? Uh, I, uh, I was living in Manhattan at the time. Okay. Um, and I think the line, my response was like, I met a Bambi on the subway once, but she was not here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> where I would have contracted Lyme disease. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it, uh, it, I, it, on the one hand, I was happy or sort of to have a diagnosis, but it didn't, it didn't line up with uh, my symptoms either because uh, the symptoms I was experience, experiencing kind of lined mm -hmm. up more with late disease, late Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. uh, but the diagnosis was of early Lyme. Um, did they do weirdo things? Like, did they take some of your spinal fluid out? Or did they just uh, do a little blood work on you? I mean, and, and, and did they give you a, a boatload of antibiotics? Yeah, so it was just blood work. And I took mm -hmm. two weeks 
of antibiotics. And, 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 and after that, in theory, you should be better. Right. And uh, were you better? No. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, you know, while I was on the antibiotics, I took good care of myself and probably rested more than I had. And uh, I think just having a diagnosis, I was able to tell my employer. Um, and they kind of gave me a lighter workload. And uh, so I was feeling a little bit better. Okay. Uh, I think that's where it gets confusing. And um, so at that point, at that moment, did you kind of stop pushing for the diagnosis? You're like, well, I, I got one. Let's just kind of ease up on that. And maybe your symptoms weren't as flaring, so it wasn't as important to get the diagnosis. Am I putting words yeah. in your mouth? Or? So the theory was uh, because my symptoms sort of spiked around 25, which was my first year of law practice. Um, mm -hmm. I think what happened, the reason for this, the spike was because when I was in school, uh, I was in control of my own schedule. So if I did have a flare, I could sleep in. Um, I could, you know, words not having to kind of every day be in the grind uh, took a bigger toll. Um, so the, I guess kind of the theory was that I had some sort of idiopathic autoimmune condition that had been triggered by the Lyme. Ah, uh, okay. So then it was, all right, well, we treated the Lyme's and I'll refer right. you to another doctor to see if we can figure out this other part. So now we're moving forward. I got my, got my Alice timeline over here. You know what I mean? So let's go from 25 to 33 years of age. And yeah. at 33 years of age, you have your most amazing son, Killian. You know, and for the longest time, I thought your son's name began with a K. I was kind of surprised it began with a C. You know what I mean? But Killian is Real just... Celtic, uh, Celtic spelling. <laughs> okay. You know, that's what I'm like. When you gave me the name, I'm like, oh, I think uh, Alice spelled her son's name wrong. It should be with a K. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it was uh, your second trimester. And did something flare up during the second trimester? Because that was a really important part of your timeline. So what happened at that time? Yeah. So uh, going, it's our, Killian was our first. Uh, going to the second trimester, uh, Britt and I, uh, we, our marriage and pregnancy sort of happened simultaneously. So <laughs> uh, we're nearly wed. And, uh, <laughs> uh, full disclosure. And uh, so all of a sudden, I woke up and my knee started just swelling. Uh, and it, you know, it swelled up to about the size of a cantaloupe. Uh, a cantaloupe? Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, everyone, I don't know if, well, we'll send a little picture of Alice on the website, but she's tiny. If your leg is the size of, or knee is the size of a cantaloupe, that's scary. Could you even walk? No, no. So, and we were on the fifth floor of a <laughs> Manhattan building. Uh, where it was trying to pick <laughs> me up, but I wouldn't let him. So I just sat on the floor and then kind of scooted my father <laughs> to scoot myself into the elevator. It was, uh, it was a pretty interesting scene. <laughs> Do you regret now not letting Britt carry you around because now you can never have him carry you? <laughs> 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 so what happened? What happened from there? So you got the, yeah, the swollen uh, knee, you're, 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 you're pregnant, you're a newlywed. What, what, what happened? 
So I, uh, we went to urgent care and then an ambulance uh, from there took me to Beth Israel. Uh, okay. At some point, 11 hours after the swelling started, I land up in, in the uh, labor and delivery room in Beth Israel. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, they didn't know where to put me and I was pregnant and uh, so yeah. set her up to the doctors, yeah. right? And oh. uh, so, I'm in the labor and delivery room, and uh, funny enough, I hear I'm from an Irish Catholic family, and I used to joke that at some point, one of my family members is giving birth, like, at any point in time. <laughs> <laughs> right, one of us right, right. you never know, exactly. Uh, and I hear Alice, and it's my cousin and his wife. Uh, and oh my God. Early labor, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So they're like, what's, what's happening? She's like trying to keep the baby in because she's in early labor. And yeah. So uh, she grabs her OB um, who starts to treat me. And uh, basically uh, they, at that point, I was just in a lot of pain and my heart rate started. Sure. Going up or something? Yeah, up or down. Or, okay. So they put me on morphine. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. So that <laughs> started kicking in and yeah. then sent in an orthopedic PA to drain the knee. Uh, All right. I mean, you have to know why, why is it swelling? You got to tap that knee. All right. Uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. So he said verbatim, uh, I'm going to stick it in and uh, I might get to the right spot right away, but if I don't, I'll, I'm gonna wiggle it around, and sometimes I'll get there. Yeah, uh, and it was like. <laughs> oh my God, I don't, know where to, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> yeah, my, my prom date inspired more confidence than that. No, <laughs> that I, was good, that was good. <laughs> Which is like, come on, like, just tell me, have you done this once before? Uh, so he missed, oh. uh, he missed, I scream, get it out, get it out, uh, which is not something you want to scream on a labor and delivery floor. Good point. The point, because they're a first-time mother to her looking around like, am I next? What's happening? Uh, so then they, after that didn't go well, they brought in the chief of rheumatology. Oh, that, I mean, that's the trick. You got to scream bloody murder and you get the best one in there, dude. That, yeah, right? I, I only know that earlier. Uh, and <laughs> was this fantastic doctor, uh, Harry Fisher, and mm -hmm. took a real interest uh, in my case. Um, okay. And was the doctor who would eventually diagnose me. Now, I like that story, but I got to like interject something. I, I was reading your, one of the best parts of your, uh, your, your profile was, weren't you and your husband, Britt, who I love Britt, Britt's a cool guy, you know? Weren't you guys watching an episode of House? And no, no, come on. Let me finish this. Like, and like, no one knew the diagnosis. I didn't know you went straight for diagnosis. And like, you and Britt said, "Hey, this is me on TV," and you watched the House episode. But then the Debbie Downer ending is that the patient dies in the house. Yes. <laughs> they make the diagnosis. So fast forward about a year later. Okay. Okay. Um, a little over a year. Uh, yeah. And uh, I guess it was a year later. So, and uh, at that point, I found out that I have hearing loss, which was sort of the last part of the puzzle. 
So here, but when it was so in the timeline, so the, the baby story and the knee, there was no hearing loss at the time. It was just the knee. Uh, yeah, so it was just the knee. And okay. then after the hospital, I kept complaining that it, I felt like I was underwater. Um, okay, gotcha, said, gotcha. Okay. So I, I think I, I probably lost a, a bit of hearing. During okay, that. okay, okay. And, uh, so then after my son was born, about a month later, I was listening to a TED talk. And it was about, in one earbud, it was normal. And in the other, it sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunk. Oh. Uh, I thought it was the earbud, and I switched them and realized it's not the earbud, it's my ear. Uh, wow. So that's how. Okay. So then we found out about the hearing loss, uh, and I went to a bunch of autologists, neuro-autologists, uh, that, and they ruled out all the kind of usual causes of hearing loss. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. At that point, Dr. Fisher said, I think it might be this really rare condition called Muckle-Well syndrome. It was actually featured on the show House. Oh, so, so it was the rheumatologist that mentioned the house. Like you guys didn't just saw the episode randomly or anything oh, like that. So we were okay. like, wow, this is it. Like it sounds yeah. like this is it. And we like celebrated. We, you know, like got out the popcorn, sit down to watch <laughs> House. We're like, I don't know. Symptoms are spot on. The guy's got the swollen knee, like everything. And then he died. <laughs> like, yeah. Did, did, in, they say, did they say the words Muckle Wells in the episode? Like, did Hal say something like, well, it could be the Muckle Wells syndrome, you know? Yeah, after he died. <laughs> after he died, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, like, it was like, this is definitely it. And then, like, oh, oh. Uh, Oh my but, god! <laughs> and it clearly dramatized. Then we knew, but it, it was just kind of a funny. It was a funny. <laughs> and so, you mean now that you have this really amazing rheumatologist, and I and I, I love the story. Being a doctor, it's how it's kind of like the person who tapped the knee was a rheumatologist. Took a broader picture. He watched the right episode. He had the knowledge, and now at least mean what I mean like you said, thirty plus years later from being an oatmeal and Benadryl you're now being diagnosed with a, you know, periodic fever syndrome that's rare that, you know, um, from that point when they made that diagnosis, was there targeted therapy? Because that's what everyone wants to know. I mean, what's the, I mean, it's nice to make a diagnosis. Everyone wants a name, but are there treatments for it? And did did they put you on it? There are. And it's just, uh, now I'm going to get choked up, but it's, uh, it's okay if you cry, dude. Cry. I mean, I mean, it's good. It's good for the podcast listener. I'm. There are treatments for it, and uh, mm-hmm. so, and I'm one of the very, very lucky few. Uh, so, uh, I was pregnant at the time. So, Doctor Fisher worked with my OB, who's amazing, uh, and uh, Doctor Russell, and uh, someone at the NIH to yeah. talk about whether I should start treatment while pregnant. Um, the treatment I started uh, was is Anna Kinra. And you know, for the for the medical students listening today, Anna Kinra is an interleukin one inhibitor. Um, they use it for many room disorders, including gout and a lot of vasculitides. But let me ask you the the doctor question, Alice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it safe to start that medication during pregnancy? I, I just don't know. I'm just asking you. In my case, it was, and the, at the okay. time study done of I think nine women who had taken it that was uh the the sort of research that we had to go on okay Um, and that and uh 
so that's why we started it and it was okay. just kind of a risk benefit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so, you were in, so you were in a flare during the pregnancy? I flared at the, the exact same time uh, as the year before as I had flared with my son. So we're uh, talking about another pregnancy then? Yeah, so I... Uh, so, so there was Killian, Killian with a C. And yeah. so he, that's when they, they tapped the joint in the knee. And then right. you made the diagnosis. So then there was another, then something, then time lapsed, and, you, and this occurred during the second pregnancy. Yeah, so I, I oh. tapped the knee. Uh, yeah. A month after the knee, I found out about the hearing loss. And yeah. then, you know, Britt and I thought, this is not the time to get pregnant again. So I uh, started using an IUD. And then uh, the IUD, I guess, had been incorrectly placed, so it just had never started working. So I found out I was 12 weeks pregnant with my daughter, I guess, like five months after I had had Killian. I mean, I'm going to watch my language on the podcast, but oh my God. So let me ask you a couple of obvious questions. I mean, number one, IUD, for those who don't know, it's an intrauterine device. I don't know if you know the people listening have used one or their loved ones have used one. Alice, you place a device, you know, in your cervix and it sits right. there. How does it not do its job? I mean, how do you misplace an IUD? I mean, I, I mean, what was, do you have an answer? Did they tell you? Yeah. So the first attempt, so the first IUD they tried to put in didn't take. Then the second one did. Um, had she had to do it a third time? she wouldn't have been able to. I guess they say, like, if it doesn't work twice, you can't try so again. So was it, it wasn't, so anatomically it was in the right place. So, yes, it needs to be in a certain place in the uterus. Yeah. Uh, so there were kind of, a, a few things went wrong. Uh, the first was, it was a little too soon after I had given birth, so it's possible the okay. uterus had back to right shape. Okay. Was she used a smaller IUD than you would typically use for uh, a woman who has had children. Okay. So it maybe wasn't big enough and it wasn't potent enough to do its job. Right. And then the third thing is, um, I guess the standard procedure used to be to do a follow-up sort of ultrasound, yeah. I guess, to make sure oh, that. For placement and where it is and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, okay. and then, but that's no longer sort of standard, so that oh. so we never did that um, to check that it was in the right spot. Uh, so let me get this straight. I mean, let me say the obvious. So you thought you were protected, you know what I mean? And hey, you know, things happen. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I don't know what symptom you had. I mean, did you get a pregnancy test? I mean, was it like, oops, you're pregnant? Or was it like, did you have a symptom? And you're like, let me check if I'm pregnant? Or? My eye... <laughs> Thank you for but uh, so I was hysterically crying at an age. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so it was the it was the hormones. I just and I was like, this is an this is an unreasonable reaction to. <laughs> uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, the last time I felt this way, I was I was pregnant, and uh, and then I realized I hadn't had a period. Cause, but I thought it was because I had You're pregnant. IUD. You were, yeah, yeah. Oh, the IUD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I started to, you know, kind of pick up on like, oh, maybe I should go get a pregnancy test. So I did, and I went. 
So when, when it was positive, did you thought that was another comedy show or you're like, all right, where's the joke? Where's the hidden camera? Or I, I mean, it, yeah. was it the, the only time, was it when you got the ultrasound, you're like, oh, snap, this is real. Well, so my son, I had found out much earlier. Of course. So yep. the first ultrasound was just the, a circle with a little dot, right? Like the apple. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, with Eleanor, it, she was 12 weeks, so it was a full oh my God. arms and legs just kind of waving at us, like, hey, mom. Uh, oh, my so, God. I mean, I was already through first trimester. Yeah, so, it, and I was doing Pilates, like, I was, I was, and I, I was just like, okay, here we uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so now it's coming in perspective, so, you mean, and then at that time with Eleanor, who, I mean, um, She's she's amazing, by the way. She I just love when Mina and Eleanor. Mina's my daughter, plays with her daughter. Um, so you were flaring at that time, and that's when the decision was to start the interleukin one inhibitor medications during your second pregnancy. Yes. Okay, and you were on that medication throughout the pregnancy, or just? Uh... I started at the beginning of third trimester. Oh, okay, and so now. Let's just go till a couple of questions I still wanted to ask. So since you've been on the medication, you know, we're talking to everyone who's listening about attacks. Did you have an attack? I'm trying to kind of get that from you. I mean, what is an attack for you now speaking up to year 2020 and how long do attacks last in your case and what triggers them? Yeah. Uh, so I went, I switched at some point from Anakinra to a drug called Alaris. Okay. Uh, uh, which is I, I take every eight weeks as opposed to every day, which is the I'll idea. take it every eight weeks <laughs> instead of yeah. daily. I mean, that sounds yeah. like a smart move. Yeah. Um, so the flares, I would more call them now, uh, are, are I, uh, it's a fever, sweating. I don't get hives anymore. Uh, I'll get joint pain, fatigue. And how long do they last? 12 hours. Oh, that's good. I thought you were yeah. going to say days. I thought you were going to say, you know what I mean, weeks or something like that. You know what well, I mean? Oh. Kind of like a, I can sleep it off, sort of. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, now, what, what, what triggers it? Uh, emotional stress is a big one. Okay. Uh, cold, exposure to cold. Okay. Air. Okay. Uh, those are kind of the two big ones. There's some other, like, if I, my heart rate spikes too quickly, like if I try mm. to work out really mm. hard. Okay. Now, now, now what, what about your husband's comic book collection? Does that cause you to have a, <laughs> a flare? I'm well, under the emotional stress category. But that's why it's important to have a cathartic release. Like comic. <laughs> right? So, yeah. so, you know, and I think, you know, for everyone listening, you know, what makes her amazing beyond this whole story is, I mean, right now, Alice, give me the percentage about your hearing. What, what are you in both ears? Are you a 50-50, a 70-50? What are you in both ears? Uh, I have about 50% loss in both ears. And is that going to go get worse or is it pretty much where it is? I mean, uh, you know, does anyone know? No one knows. Yeah. So the, the <coughs> hope is that, uh, that it will stay, that my hearing loss will just progress like a normal person would now that I'm on medication. Okay. Um, but because I was diagnosed so late and the, it, it had already progressed so much, they're not sure. 
Now, yeah, probably questions that you probably don't know the answer for. Does the interleukin-1 inhibitor drugs you're on, does that have any data for the ear? And if we decided to treat earlier when you're 10 years old or 15 years old, would it have made a difference? Do you know these things? Uh, yeah, so if you, if with Muckle-Well syndrome, the hearing loss typically begins in adolescence. And uh, if you are treated before then, uh, you, you don't lose hearing. That, I mean, good for everyone else, bad for you, but yeah. that's, wow. Yeah, it's great for my son. It's yeah. Great. My son has muckle so, yeah. You know I didn't even mention that. I didn't even mention that. So, me, so yeah. by the way, for my med students out there, it's an autosomal dominant disorder. So, obviously, you could read about genetic patterns some other time, but, uh, you know, she has a, a beautiful son, beautiful daughter. So only the son has it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, n- n- I mean, I hate asking you this super emotional stuff, but uh, was it the worst ever finding out that he had it? Or was it a relief like you found out early, like you said? And uh, is it, you know, I mean, um, how is it? How's it being someone who has a son who has, has Michael Wells? You know what I mean? Uh, so... I'm really thankful that he's on medication. Uh, Is he taking what you have, or are you giving him the oatmeal bath? <laughs> <laughs> no oatmeal bath. No. Yeah, so he takes a lot. Okay. Um, he takes it every five weeks. Uh, and his symptoms are a lot more controlled. Okay. Uh, and uh, what's frustrating is, so Killian also has autism. My son has autism, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or diverse. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but not being able to communicate with them about how he's mm. feeling, uh, yeah. and kind of knowing sometimes that he's flared or fatigued and uh, and doesn't understand why or. Yeah. No, that's it's, it's the hardest part, you know. For for any disorder, you know, I always have a little extra empathy for Aiden, my boy. Because I just know he can't express himself as well. So it always worries me and my wife, Michelle, a thousand times more because Mina, my daughter, she just talks way too much. My son won't, won't give those symptoms. Um, so let me ask you this. So, I mean, one thing that makes you, I think, like, uh, I'll use a Brit word, a superhero, because I know he likes the comic books and everything, is... Um, you know, your hearing loss, I've seen you actually perform your comedy. So can you tell my listeners what made you want to be a comedian? You know, I mean, you're a lawyer by training, you know what I mean? Uh, you already have a pretty full plate, you know what I mean? With, you know, with your son, your daughter, being a, trying to be a good wife, all these things put together. Uh, where did the comedian thing take place? Can you explain that to me? I... So it, it, it was a special needs mom's night out uh, okay. I had with a friend. And, uh, and instead of going to dinner, one week she had won a free comedy class. Uh, mm-hmm. And she said, do you want to come with me? Uh, and I, I thought that sounds terrifying. Um, but if I don't go, I will have to put my kids to bed again. <laughs> <laughs> kind of went to the class thinking I would write my set but not perform it uh and then it became clear that that would not be a cool thing to do like we were all in this together and you have to get up and do it 
Uh, and I was able to share uh, about my hearing loss and about Killian and about the IUD experience uh, yes. and just connect and kind of let, let the story out. And, uh, and it was just uh, exhilarating, I guess, and just uh, felt like maybe this was something good that could come out of the challenges. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I, I saw your show, and for those listening here, we're going to put her information on our website, and you should definitely see her. Now, I never realized that you're kind of, you're kind of a vulgar sexual person on the on the comedy show. What? No <laughs> jokes in there about you know. I forgot the one you were telling me about. <laughs> when was it the um? It was it was the boyfriend joke that you have, and it was kind of like oh, that's an old joke, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I'm kind of glad I didn't bring my kids to the show. <laughs> uh, you know what? I knew. Now, now I, now, I didn't, that, that, that's what made it so fun to see you because I, I see you in one way, which is our, our conversation. All of a sudden I hear a little vulgarity, a little sexual joke. I'm like, OMG, what's going on here? Is that like your inner fiance or inner something coming out? You know what I mean? That alter, alter ego? My animal know? is actually yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, it's like who we were before we had kids, right? So yeah. that's another great thing about comedy. It's, it's all adults, and we get to say adult things. Uh, people have to listen to Baby Shark, right? Oh, my so, God. I, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think just making space for that was also mm -hmm. sort of part of the therapy that comedy gives to me. So, well, I would say, let me ask you a comedy question. So, I mean, do you enjoy coming up with the material? Is it harder than you think for people who may want to go in that? Because I think it's really important that whether you're a doctor or not a doctor, I don't care what you are, you don't always have to end up where you started from. You know what I mean? And I think that I admire you that you are full on into this. I didn't even know you had a freaking website. And I went to your website and I was super impressed, you know? So, I think it's amazing. So, I mean, can you, can you tell people, like, is it really hard? Is it harder than being a lawyer in what you're doing now and coming up with material and everything? Uh, no, life is full of material, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 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 attention. I, yeah, there's material all around you, I promise. Uh, so, and it, uh, so when you're doing something that you love, it's not hard, right? And, uh, and I, love, I love writing. Uh, mm -hmm. I love structured writing. Uh, I like being around comics. I like, you know, connecting with people over laughter. So, you know, in that sense, it's not hard. Uh, the hours are better. For sure. <laughs> uh, the pay is all hours. <laughs> yeah, so far. And uh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's not, it's not better or worse, but it, for me, it feels like a, a better fit. So would I, would I be wrong by saying, like, I like what you said, like, there's, there's material every day of your life. So would I be wrong to say in the middle of, let's say, you and Brett are in a little fight, would you say, honey, can you hold on a second? I need to write this down for my, my show. Is Brett off limits? I love your husband. Is he off limits in your comedy show? Does he give you a talk? No, no, he loves it. He loves, he loves it. He loves when I joke about him. <laughs> I think my first set was, basic, was like a back and forth comparison of me versus him. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, and 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 I, and I guess you know one of one of going one of my last questions would be when do you think when is the age would you ever let Eleanor, your beautiful daughter, or Killian ever go to one of the shows? <laughs> oh, I think about this, and I also think about you know I have to watch what I say because like they'll be able to hear it eventually. Right? <laughs> um, I think. Uh, Probably high school. I think they're gonna they're gonna be like the coolest kids because of the fact that they're gonna have like the hip mom who's gonna be like the Amy Schumer that's gonna have these wonderful jokes and uh let me you are gonna remember me and Michelle when you're kinda like on Netflix, right? And you're gonna be super popular and famous. You're gonna remember us little people, right? Of course. You're you're never a little person. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let me, let me just say this because I got to wrap it up. It was funny when I first told you you're going to uh, call my show. I said it'll be around 30 minutes. I'm looking at the times. I'm recording this. I'm like, wow, I kind of love chatting with you. I mean, that that it's almost been an hour. You're you're a pretty uh, hip person, man. I mean, do me a solid if you can. I mean, if, please, everyone listening today, I'm going to make sure she gives me her website. And I believe, correct me if wrong, it's alicepainecomedy.com. Is that the one? That's it. And, you know, and, and uh, I'm going to put pictures up and everything to research her. Please look into her comedy. You will laugh. Now, I'll use a curse word. You will laugh your ass off. It is that funny. I'm telling you, she is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, um, Alice, thank you so much for coming on today. You are just an amazing mom, person, advocate for, you know, Mucklewell syndrome and everything. You're the greatest. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.